Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day to all the dads that are here today and uh, all the dads that are joining us online. Uh, I really do hope that you are going to be able to stay for our lunch on the lawn uh, today. Thank God that it is not a heat index of 110 today like it was last week and like they're talking about this week. So that's the favor of God, you know, like he, he's... He's just given us a beautiful day today, so I'm looking forward to it. And like Meredith said, even if you even if you didn't bring something, stay just for a little while, just grab something to eat, just find a way just to, to talk and connect. And it really is like that. That's kind of the heart behind this is we're just trying to find ways for our church family just to be able to connect and be with one another and just extremely grateful for uh, the opportunity to be able to do so um, today. So we are continuing in our series uh, in the book of Galatians this week, um, last Sunday, Lowell did a, an amazing job in Galatians chapter 3, um, just from the feedback that I had heard about it, but also just from, uh, from watching it myself. Just really, uh, I, I love how Lowell ended last week talking about how the gospel is the great equalizer. That, that you know, it, the, all of the, the different um, classes, the different uh, differences and man-made groups that we put people into that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ, what, what he did and accomplished on the cross ended up doing away with all of those things. You know, we, we know that through the cross of Jesus, through the power of his resurrection, we are one body. Classes cease to, cease to exist. Nobody has any reason to feel superior to anybody else nor inferior to anyone else because we are all one in Christ. And, and if you've been following along in this series, this is one of the main ideas that Paul was trying to, to get across and trying to talk to the churches in Galatia about. You know, there, there were divisions, there were factions that were beginning to form within the churches in Galatia, specifically between the, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. And, and not only does Paul kind of rebuke the, the Judaizers, those that were trying to tell the Gentiles, all right, if you, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, you need to become Jewish first. Not only does he rebuke them, but he also re re rebukes the apostle Peter as well, where, where Peter was showing favoritism towards the Jewish believers over the Gentile believers. And, and as he closes out chapter 3, by affirming that, that we really are all one. He, he says that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, neither male nor female, for we are all one through Christ Jesus. And, and then the very last line, the very last verse in chapter 3, he says, if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And that word that Paul uses to describe us, it is so important. We're going to talk a little bit about it today because it's so, it's so important for us to grasp and really get a hold of what does that mean to be an heir. That when we see ourselves as an heir of, of Christ, it changes, how, it changes how we live, it changes how we think, it changes how we interact with God and with others. When we see ourselves as heirs. That we don't become heirs by, by following rules. You don't become an heir by following rules and regulations. You become an heir through relationship. You become an heir through, through blood. And it's so key, it's so important for us to grasp that and understand who we are in Christ. So as we start off today, today we're going to be talking about chapter 4, but I actually want to, I, I want to, to before we get to chapter 4, I want to look back to something that Paul said at the end of chapter 3. Now, I, most of you, many of you probably know this, that the 
when, when Paul wrote the, the letter to the Galatians, there were no chapter markers in it. It was just one continuous letter, one continuous thought. And it wasn't until the 13th century that these, these uh, chapter differentiations were put into, into our scriptures. And so sometimes the, these, these chapter breaks end up interrupting a thought that was continued in a previous chapter. And, and, and so that's kind of what happens here um, for us. And so in Galatians chapter 3, verse 25, Paul, he, he says something to the Galatians about who they are. He says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now, ladies, don't let that, that word throw you. When he says we're all sons of God, Paul is writing in a very patriarchal society. Women, they didn't receive an inheritance. Women weren't, weren't considered heirs. Men were considered heirs. And so when he's using the term sons here, it, it's, not, it's not in like a, a pejorative way. And, and essentially he is saying, all right, we are in relationship. We, he very easily could have just said that for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God. Through faith, and, and so ladies, the, him using the term sons does not exclude you whatsoever. In, in fact, I would say this, like the Bible talks about men being the bride of Christ, so in some ways we're kind of even, but not really. But, but anyways, but Paul says, he says, you are all sons. And he uses this term, he uses this idea of sonship to talk about our, our relationship with God. Because remember, what, what, he, what he, he said is that there is no male nor female, that we are all one. And, and so don't, don't get hung up on the word sons as we use it today, but he's just using it to denote this relationship that we have with God. And when, as Paul is talking about sonship, talking about what it means to be heirs through Christ Jesus, he's going to unpack that a little bit here in chapter 4. So what I want you to do is we're, in, we're going to start in chapter 4, in verse 4, where Paul says, he says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Like, what, what Paul is writing about it is, he's saying the express purpose, the, the reason that Jesus came to this earth was, not, was, was to redeem us. Redeem us, and, and to use his words, that we might receive what he call, calls adoption to sonship. Paul, Paul says, Jesus didn't come so that we could have religion. He didn't come so that we could have a, a, a religious experience. He came so that we could be adopted into sonship. He came so that we could have relationship. Like, I, I love you. I, I love your family. I love your kids. But I love mine more because they're my blood. They're, they're like, we're, we're part of a church family. But my, my, my blood family, my blood relatives, they're, they're, there's a different level that's there. And, and that's what, that's what, what uh, Paul is talking about here. Jesus came so that we could have relationship with God, not a religion. He goes on to say, because you are his sons, because of this relationship, because you've been adopted into this sonship, God sent, his, sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. The Spirit that calls out, Abba, Father. He said, all right, because you're a son, because you have this relationship with God now, 
God has given you the Spirit of Jesus, and it lives within you, and it calls out, it cries out, Abba, Father. And, and let me tell you, like this would have been such a foreign concept to those that were reading and, and receiving this letter. Be, because at this time, they, they didn't think of, of God as, as a father. They didn't think of, of relationship. They thought of religion. All right, God is, he's big, he's out there. He's far off. But this idea that, that God has given us the spirit of Christ, he's given us the spirit of Jesus that calls out, Abba Father, the, that, that term Abba Father, it's a, it's a relational term. It denotes a, a personal intimacy. He's not just God, he's Father, he, he's Daddy. And he goes on to say, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And that's so important for us to hear this morning, that, that we're not a slave any longer. No more. That we're now a child. We're now a son. We're a daughter. And here's that word again that he used at the end of chapter 3. That because we are our God's child, because we are his sons and his daughters, we are also an heir, which we're going to discuss in a minute. And so what I, what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about this, this idea, this differentiation between being a son and being a slave, because that's what Paul talks about. He says, all right, you're no longer a slave anymore, but now you're a son. Now you're a child. And, and what, what, you know, the, the difference between being a slave and a son, because chances are, and I know this to be true for me, we can easily operate out of the wrong type of relationship. It's, it's easy for us to operate out of, out of a slave mindset, mindset instead of a son mindset. It's easy to fall back into, into that, and, and it's still at times, I still do that at times too. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The first point is that a slave has a master. A slave has a master, and that goes without saying, right? Like if, if, if you, when you have a relationship with a master, the master's always demanding something of you. He's always wanting something of you. There, there's, there's a uh, a subservient relationship that, that is there. Like, uh, there. A, a slave is summoned by the master. And when he comes into, into the presence of the master, it would probably be with fear and trembling, wondering, all right, am I going to get whipped? Am I going to get beaten? Because I, maybe I didn't, I didn't perform up to the master's expectations. Like This is not the mindset nor the spirit that God wants us to have as it relates to him. Because a son doesn't have a master. A son has a father. A son has a father. Where, where a slave is valuable to the master only as long as he produces, only as long as he's effective. A son is valuable to the father because of who he is. Because of that relational tie that is there. My, my son Josiah this week, he was taking his annual standardized test as he's getting ready to enter fourth grade. And my love and my feelings for my son has nothing to do with how he scores on that test. Whether he aces it or whether he bombs it is irrelevant to me in how I feel towards my son and in how my, my relationship with my son. That's what a, a relationship between a, a, a father and a child ought to be. It's not based on performance. It's based on the fact that we are related, that we are connected, that we share 
the same blood. And Paul talks about this very similarly in the book of Romans that he talks about here in the book of Galatians. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. He, he's using the, the same kind of verbiage that he's using in the book of Galatians. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. And, and just a, a side note here for a moment. You can tell if you're, if you're operating from a slave mindset if you're fearful of God, if you're afraid of God. Paul's saying, All right, you don't have to be afraid any longer. You're not a slave anymore. But rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. He's using that same verbiage again. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The, the, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And here he talks about that same idea that, that we engage with God relationally. We, we call him, we call out, Abba, Father. It's, it's, an, it's an endearing term that denotes like an, an intimate relationship. Regan, my, my 16-year-old daughter, she still calls me daddy, and, and I love it. Like, I, I, it means so much to me. It touches my heart because you can always, you can always tell what kind of relationship you have by what you call a person. You can tell what kind of relationship, how close a relationship you have with someone based on what you call them. It's a big indicator. Like, like think for a minute as, as you pray, as, as you talk with God, what terms do you use when you talk with Him? How do you address God? And Paul is telling us here, like, like we, we can call out, call Him Father, call, call Him Daddy. God, I want to, Father, I want to come to you. I want to come running to you. I, I, did a, I did a funeral about a year and a half, two years ago. And the, and the funeral director referred to me as Reverend Malloy. And, and, and it, made, it made me smile. It made me laugh. Because he, he, he knew me, but he, he didn't know me. He, like, he knew who I was, but he didn't know who I am. Because nobody calls me Reverend Malloy at all. Like, I... Yeah, I might smack you if you do that. <laughs> because he had no relationship with me. And so because he had no relationship with me, he used this formal title in talking to me and in, in addressing me. Like you can always tell how close, you can always tell what kind of relationship you have by the, by the titles, by the way that you address them. Like, I've had people ask me before, like, all right, what do, you, what do you want us to call you? Do you want us to call you Pastor Pat? Do you want us to call you Pat? Do you want us to call you Pastor Malloy? And, and I'll be honest, I, I don't care. I don't, I don't care what you call me. Like, I, I just want you to call me. Like, I, I mean, seriously, like, I, I don't need a title in front of my name at all. I just, I just want to be called. I want to be endeared to, to you. I want people to know me and be in relationship with me title in and of itself means nothing to me. Because what's important is that the way you call someone is an indicator and can determine the relationship that you have with them. So this idea, like it's, it's not just the, this, this concept, oh, Abba, Father. No, no. The way that you address somebody denotes what that relationship is actually like. So let's look at the, the second differentiation. The, the first one is, is that a slave has a master, a son has a father. The second differentiation is the slave is an employee. 
The slave is an employee. Now, if, if, if you've ever been to a store or to a restaurant, I'm sure we've all had an interaction with a staff member like this where you can tell where they are completely disinterested in what it is that they're doing. Like they're just, they're earning a paycheck, they're punching a clock, you know, like they're, they're merely an employee and nothing else. I'm putting in my time, but I don't have any real connection about whether this business succeeds or fails. I'm just an employee. Like we, we've all had encounters with people that are like that. But you can guarantee that if they owned the business, if they were related to the person that owned the business, that the way they, they carried themselves, the way that they interacted would be completely different. A slave is just an employee, but a son, a son is an heir. A slave is an employee, but a son is an heir. He's part of the family business. I, I, I don't work for God, I work with God. I'm not employed by him. I, no, I'm, I'm partnering with God in what it is that he wants to do. We're on the same team. I'm an owner with him, and, and, and I want to see, I wa- I wa- I see God's kingdom grown and expanded because I'm part of the family business. Like In some ways, I think about it, it, it kind of relates to like us here as, as a church body. Like If you're all in here at, at Living Stones, if this is your church home, if I'm your church pastor, like our, our mindset changes in, the, in that way, all right? It, where it's not, all right, these aren't, these aren't your chairs, or these aren't, these aren't our chairs, they're your chairs. These aren't our lights, they're your lights. This isn't our sound system, this is your sound system. Like, when, when we see ourselves differently, it changes how we act. I'm not just... We're not just employees that we are heirs. Like, we are a part of the family business. We're a part of what it is that God is doing. And, and, and I think when, when we see ourselves differently, it also changes how we act, how we behave. And so if this, is, if this isn't just like our church, no, it's your church. And we see like some paper or trash blowing through the parking lot. Well, I'm going to pick it up because, well, this is my church. This is my home. When I see a, a visitor here for the first time, all right, this, is, this is my home. I'm welcoming them into, into my home. I'm going to treat them differently. It changes how we think. It, like when, when I have ownership of something, it changes how we operate. It changes how, how we think about things. And in Romans 8, 17, he says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Like, this is, this, this is so huge, what, what Paul is saying here. Not only are, are we heirs, but we are co-heirs with Christ. What, what that means is, like, well, actually, as we, as we think about that idea, being a co-heir, like, if you ever received an inheritance or something like that, like, you got it because, because you were related and so everything that God has, has given to Jesus, he's also given us the same thing because we are co-heirs with him. We're a part of the family business. God is not our master and we're not his employees. We get to work with God, not for God. Now, the next differentiation, though, that I want to address actually takes a, a, a scripture I want to, to kind of set it up. And as we've talked and, and worked through the book of Galatians, 
Paul over and over again emphasizes that it's all about the grace of God. It's not anything about what we do. It's all about the grace. It's all about the mercy of God. Following rules, obeying the law, fulfilling religious duties has nothing to do with it. It's all about God's grace. But I'll be honest with you, there are some people where the grace of God actually rubs the wrong way. I've had conversations. I I know people that take exception, actually get bothered by the grace of God. People, they just need to change. Pastor, you just need to set some people straight. Like I've literally heard that phrase. People need to be told what they're doing wrong, and, and you need to put a fire under them. Like take an exception to the grace of God. But, but I'll tell you, grace has to be free. It has to be free. Grace has to be given without us having to do a single thing. And yet people still demand that people have to do things first in order to get to God. But, but we can't. However, there's a balance to this. There, there's another side of it too that, that we need to grasp and we need to understand. God's grace isn't just license for us to do whatever we want either. Like I'm not saying, nor is Jesus saying, all right, well, you can just go on living whatever way you want to do. It's already been paid for. You know, you, you don't have to do anything. That, that's, not, that's not what Jesus is saying either. What he's saying is, it's not that you don't have to do anything, it's that you don't have to do anything first. It's the, the order of it that's important. So, so you receive the grace of God, and when you do, there's a, there's a verse in, in Philippians chapter 2 that I want to kind of unpack, because Paul writes about this. He says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. He says, Work hard. Like, Paul, I, 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 Paul, which one is it? All right, is it grace is free and I don't need to do anything? Or, all right, no, work hard, which one is it? He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Like, we don't work hard to receive our salvation because we can't do that. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you. And he can only work in you if we've received that free gift, if we've received the grace of God. But he goes on to say, for God is working in you and he's giving you the desire. God is giving you the desire. Like, I, I, don't, I don't want you to do this, this thing called Christianity because, because you have to. Like, there, there is a place for obedience. There's a place for disciplining, and, and that's true. But what, I, what Paul is really saying is it's important for our desires to change. And he said, all right, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you. He's given you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. This is so key and it's so important. This is what I, I pray for, for all of us as a church family, what I pray for all of us that, uh, of who we, who we interact with and come into contact with. Jesus said, right, I'm not going to get up and I'm not going to demand things of you. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Don't do that. Like that, that's not how God, that's not how he rolls. You're not going to hear me get up here 
and start making demands of you. Well, you have to do this. You must do this. You, you have to stop doing that. You need to start doing this. God doesn't demand those things in that manner. What I want to do for us is I want to lead us into a relationship with God. And what Paul said in Philippians 2 here, he says, all right, when, when you're in a relationship with God, he's going to give you the desire and the power to do the things that pleases him. We don't try to do it on our own accord based on our own thoughts and our own you know, burdens. He said, no, no, God will give you the desire. He'll give you the power to do so. Like, wouldn't it be better if we do something because we have the desire and the power to do so, not because we feel like we have to? And this sets up the, the final distinction between slaves and sons. Where a slave is driven by duty. By duty. If you're a slave, you have to. You, it's, not, it's not up for debate. You have a duty. You have an obligation. You don't have a choice. But a son is driven by devotion. A slave is driven by duty. All right, I have to do this. But a son is driven by devotion. God, I'm not serving you and I'm not doing these things because I'm obligated to. I'm doing it because, because I love you. Not out of fear and duty, but out of love and devotion. And, and probably one of the greatest examples of, of this idea between duty and devotion, Jesus gives a, a story, and he gives an example in this from Math, or excuse me, Luke chapter 10. And he says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now I'm going to pause for a second. Like They both loved Jesus. Both Mary and Martha both loved Jesus. Martha was, was busy preparing, cooking, ma making the home nice. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. And Martha came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It's, it's a choice that we make. Mary chose what was better. And this is such a key part of it. it, it it's such a a key difference in how we relate to God. If we, if we serve God, if we relate to God as a slave, if we do it out of duty, our Christian walk is most likely going to be miserable. And chances are it probably won't last. But if you have a relationship with anyone and it's motivated by duty, it's probably not going to last. But if you're motiv motivated by devotion... It's life-giving. It's life-giving. And so how do, we, how do we do it? Like, what, what does that actually mean? How do we actually do it? How do we live and operate from the mindset of a son and not as, as a slave? And going back to Galatians chapter 4, Paul talks about it. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. He's saying, all right, you used to be a slave before you knew God. He says, but now, now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them 
all over again. Like he, what, he, he makes this, this super clear distinction. Saying you were a slave before when you didn't know God. But now you do know Him. But now you're a son. Now you're a daughter. You're an heir. Like why in the world would you want to go back to being a slave? Back to operating out of duty. Back to serving a master instead of being with a father. Back to being an employee instead of being an heir. Why, why would you want to go back to that? And so, quickly, I'm going to kind of close out here just talking about, all right, so how do we do it? How do we know God? Because that's, that's what Paul was saying. He's like, right, if you know God, that's going to be the difference between operating as a son or a slave. And so first comes how we, how we see God, because the way that we see God is going to help determine the relationship we have with God. And so we need to see God as a father, see him as a father. Because when we view God as a father, when, when we view him as, as a good father, we recognize that we are his sons and daughters. That we get out of this, this mindset that we are slaves, that God is, is our master, And Jesus, he, he describes for us, like, what does it look like? What, what, what does God operating as a father look like for us? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 9, he says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Like, J Jesus, he, he was preaching a, a revolutionary change of people's minds. And challenging their assumptions about who God is. So he's, he's saying, all right, God, God is not a, he's not angry. He's not this lightning bolt throwing, you know, deity that's just waiting for you to screw up. He's not a ruthless dictator. No, he's generous. He's a loving father. And here's the trouble that many have is that we have, we've had experiences with bad earthly fathers that can make it difficult to relate to God as a perfect heavenly father. It's so easy for us to let our experiences with people cloud and taint our relationship with God. And so just because we may have had a, a terrible earthly father doesn't mean that we should use that to keep us from a, a relationship with our perfect heavenly father. Just because we've encountered hypocrites within the church, we can't let that hold us back from pursuing an, an authentic relationship with Jesus. We have to see him differently, see him as a father. And the second one, kind of the second way that we can know God, is not only do we have to see him correctly, but we approach God through relationships and not rules. We approach God through relationship and not rules. And probably every home, I would guess, we have rules within the house about how we interact with others, about how we treat other people, about how we ask for things, how we can earn money, chores, you know, responsibilities that we have. And those are good. We, we need to have those in our life. But when your kids relate to you outside of just honoring and obeying rules, like that, that's the key here. Like there, there's been times like I've, I've been working on something, maybe I'm, I'm working on a message or I'm working on a project at home and, and one of the kids, they'll just come and just plop themselves down next to me. You're just like, all right, give, give me a second. Let me finish what I'm doing. And, 
and then I'll, I'll talk to you. And then you're like, all right, so, so, so what? what? What do you want? What do you need? And have your kids say, no, Dad, I, I don't need anything. I just wanted to come see what you're doing. I just, wanted to be, I just wanted to be around you. Hey, Dad, will you come play Legos with me? Will you come throw the ball with me? Can we shoot the BB gun together? Can, we, can, we, can you go for a walk with me? And, and it moves you as a dad. It moves you as a parent. That they're not wanting anything from you. They're just, I just want to be with you. I just want to be around you. I just want to be near my dad. And I'm convinced that's what God wants from us. To approach him differently. Not, not just approaching him when, when we need something. Not just approaching him, all right, God, I, I've, I've really screwed this up. God, I need you to do this thing for me. No, God, I just, I just want to be with you. I just want to be close. I want to be nearby to my daddy. Jesus describes this idea in John 5. He says, he's talking to the Pharisees here, and he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. He's like, all right, you, you read and you study the Bible, but you're missing the point. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The, the goal is not reading your Bible. The goal is to find me. The, the goal isn't to pray for an hour. The goal is to meet with me. And so often we confuse the two. He, he's saying, all right, just come. Be with me. Find me. Spend time with me. It's way more important. That's what God is way more concerned about than us doing the right things. Be with me. God wants us to be way more than he wants us to do. And if you think about what we talked about with, with the difference between Mary and Martha, Mary wanted to be with Jesus. Martha was busy doing all the things, getting ready for Jesus. So how we see God, how we approach God, but finally we can come to God and we give him our whole heart. How we can know God is we give him our whole heart, holding nothing back, going all in. Like when it, when it comes to knowing God, he, he wants us to have an, an undivided heart towards him. Now, if, if you're married or you've been married or, or you want to be married someday or you know somebody, like no, nobody wants a spouse that is mostly committed. Like, I, I mean, it's like, that's not, very, that's not a very appealing relationship status. I'm mostly committed to you. No, like, in fact, I would say that's probably the death nail of most any relationship if one of the parties is only partially committed. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. With all your heart. Like the antithesis, the, the opposite of this would be that if you seek me with part of your heart, you're not going to find me. He said, no, no. If you seek me with all of your heart, you're going to find me. But just partly, you might not. And it would be so easy to come to the place of saying, like, th this, this God thing, this Christianity thing, like, it just doesn't work. If we're partially committed, like, all right, well, I, I, if this just isn't working for me. And I would argue may, maybe it's because you've not really gone all in with God before. Given him everything, 100%, whole, 
holding nothing back. And so I want to close with this final thought here this morning. And I think this is an incredibly appropriate that it, this message fell on Father's Day of all days. This wasn't planned. It just happened this way. But what, Because what Paul is trying to do in Galatians 4, he's trying to reframe what our relationship with our Heavenly Father should look like. That, we, that our relationship with God should be fueled by devotion and not duty. That we're sons, that we're daughters, that we're heirs. We're not slaves. That we can be secure with God just by being with Him, not by having to go and do any one thing in particular. So in the end, the, the final thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes today is that relationship changes everything. Relationship changes everything. And so maybe, maybe for you, maybe for you, you've never actually begun a relationship with Jesus before, that you've had this idea, this mindset, that, that Christianity is just a bunch of rules that we need to follow. I want to tell you that having a true and a genuine relationship with Jesus changes everything. Or, or maybe, maybe you've never gone all in with Jesus before. There's, there's been certain parts that you've held back. I've not given him my, my whole heart. There's some things I, I, I've been kind of wavering on. Maybe this thing is just something, yeah, I'll, I'll try it out and see what happens. I, w- I want to tell you, relationship changes everything. It changes everything. So what I want to do this morning, I just I, I want to I want to just pray for us right now. I want I want to give us an opportunity to respond in this moment. That if we've never begun a real relationship with Jesus before, that we can do that today. Or, or maybe if we've never gone all in, we've never committed one hundred percent before. That today would be that day. And so, would you be willing just to close your eyes and bow your heads for just a moment? And if that if that is you, if 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 you've Say, you know what, I, I want this. I want to experience this relationship with Jesus, this, this relationship that changes everything. And I've never done it before. If that's you, I, w- I want you to just to raise your hand for a moment. Or if maybe you, you feel like, all right, yeah, I've, 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 I've engaged in this relationship, but, I, but I've held some things back. I've never been all in with Jesus. If, if either of those are you, I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for you this morning. Praise God. Lord, I I just thank you, God, so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you are a good, good father. I thank you, Lord, that, that you have called us into relationship with you. Lord, that we are no longer slaves, but that we are sons, we are daughters, we are heirs, that, that you have given us everything, everything that you gave to Jesus, you've given to us as well, that you don't want us to, to engage and interact with you out of duty, out of obligation, through rules. You want us to operate and, and approach you through relationship. That our spirits will cry out to you, Abba, Father, Daddy. That we want this, this relationship with you. And, and God, that when we do, when we, when we fully commit ourselves to you, God, you said that you would give us the desire and the power to do the things that please you. That we accept your free gift of grace first. 
We accept your free gift of grace before anything else. God, we come to you just as children, as your sons, as your daughters, as heirs. And just as Mary did, we want to sit at your feet. We just want to be close. We just want to be near you. We just want to, we just want to be in fellowship and communion with you. So God, I, I just pray for all of us here today. Lord, if there's been, if there's been barriers, if there's been mindsets, if, if, we've, if we've been operating out of the, the mindset of a slave, God, that we would recognize you as Father, as Abba Father, that we, that we, would, that we would start to re, rethink, re, recalibrate how we approach you, Lord, not, not as a slave in a master relationship, but as a son and daughter in a father relationship. God, we, we come to you today and we thank you, God, on this Father's Day. This day we set aside to, to honor the dads in our, in our lives, the, our, our biological dads, those that have stepped in to be dads. God, on this Father's Day, we want to honor you. And thank you for being a great, perfect, heavenly father for us. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was little, uh, my brother, sister, and I, uh, I can remember... On a day like this, a weekday like this, when it was warm out, we would be playing out in the yard, and it would come around late afternoon, early evening, and the, the big bus would pull up in front of our house. It was coming from Pittsburgh, where my dad worked downtown for Bell Telephone. Uh, and the doors would open, and Daddy would step off the bus, and we'd run through the yard, Daddy's home, Daddy's home, Daddy's home. We were so glad because without dad at the house, things weren't complete. But when he was home, everything was good. Everything was right. Everything was at peace. Jesus tells a story about a father and two sons. And it says that the younger son takes the inheritance. You know, give me my inheritance early, dad. And he left and he squandered that entire amount of inheritance and wild living. And then when he realized, wow, you know, I had it oh, so much better at home. Uh, Jesus says that he, he says these words in his mind and it prepares his heart to go back home and beg his father. And he said, and in his mind, he says, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Uh, I, I know I have felt that way before my earthly father, but a lot of times, even to this very day, I feel like that towards my father in heaven. I'm sure that we can all relate to that. But I love the picture of the father. <laughs> Jesus says that the father, that while while the son was still a far way off, what did the father, what was the father doing? He saw him. It's just, it's just like my brother, sister, and I waiting for my dad to get off the bus. He was, the thing that was on his mind more than anything was waiting for his son to be home so he could be present with his son and have, and everything would be all right with the world. And it says, as, as he embraces his son, he says, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And there's, 
those items that he brings are those are those items of inheritance that Pat talked about earlier the robe is this covering of forgiveness for the sins that the son had committed and says I love you it covers over all of that the ring was value that no matter what the world has done to you I have restored belonging to you and then the sandals on his feet have restored purpose and meaning to life and given him hope and then they celebrate I don't know where you're at this morning I love that we as a church celebrate communion and we say that we celebrate an open communion not, not all churches are like that but I love that we do that because it is this picture of a father who says no matter where you've been and what you've done no matter what place you find yourself in your life this table I'm sitting at this I've longed to eat this meal with you I've longed to come to this table and sit with you and he prepares a feast for us I, I hope you'll come regardless of how you feel about you I hope that you will hear the words of your father that says welcome home welcome home my sons and daughters welcome home let's pray father in heaven thank you father for today thank you father that we can uh, come into this place this morning and and uh, worship and celebrate as a family and we can come to this table and hear the words you are my beloved son you are my beloved daughter in jesus name amen